Reading from Matthew 5, 33 through 37. Again, you have heard that the ancients were told you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the, king, the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black, but let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil. The word of the Lord. Thank you for that reading, Jesse. The kids are invited to Kids Church with Shelby outside today. You'll see a note in the bulletin about uh, the kids will be outside when they can be outside and they'll be in the basement um, when it's too cold. Uh, just its own sort of punishment in some ways. So far we've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount and we've heard how God has blessed us, blessed the community gathered around his name, blessed these people who you would not often see as blessed. And his blessings have this sort of um, eschatological last times fulfillment reminder that in the times of life that we exist, there is a greater fullness to come. And then he speaks to his church, to his people, that you are salt and you are light. You are that which is essential for the world. Um, uh, and he claims this for them. And, and we talked about how he says you are that, not buck yourself up and try really hard and someday you might be salt. Uh, what is it, the Pinocchio challenge? Uh, if you're wise, faithful, and true, um, you become a real boy. Uh, there's none of that with Jesus. This is who you are. Um, did anybody else not know the P.O.? It's weird because if you watch the story, it, it's how does he show that he's wise, faithful, and true is a weird question. Um, uh, and after that, he says that he's come to fulfill the law and the prophets, that he's come to sort of bring to fulfillment those things. And what Jesus said to us last week in this formula, which we will, will sit with two more weeks, which is, you have heard it said, but I say to you, is he talked to us about anger and about lust and divorce and how our anger and contempt for one another can move us uh, to, it makes us murderers and how our lusts and the ways in which we consume and look at other people as objects of consumption in the world makes us adulterers. And then he has a teaching about divorce at the end of that. And it's interesting because all the other ones have, um, here's how you might amend this problem. So, you know, with anger, it's make amends on the road of life before you get to the court, um, which has this meaning of you road the life is a road and the final court is the one that we see god in um, and so we make amends and forgiveness as we'll hear later in the sermon and much in the gospel of matthew about in this life for the future of that day um, as the song said i love that that christ the shore of our salvation that we await a brand new shore in that day and with lust uh well, it's weird. One of the commentators was saying there's these little steps to get in the kingdom. And I don't know if he had thought of that as an idea before he read this one where it's gouge out your eye or cut off your hand. Little step doesn't seem like to me. 
But what it said was that, that these ways in which we are stuck in these patterns, it's better for us to go without the things that are causing that than it is to, to keep them. Um, it's better they be cast off these concerns in these ways in which we do that um, than that we keep them. Now, this past week, I heard from two or three people the challenge to not hold people in contempt this political season was a good one for them. And both these people are on different sides of the aisle, which is helpful, too. It's, it's, at least one side isn't going, yeah, they shouldn't hold me in contempt, but I'm, I'm fine. Um, and I think that's a, still a great challenge for us as we get to this, how words are structured in this oath passage, is to, is to look at the ways in which we talk about others, to look at the ways in which we think about others, to, to look at the ways in which we try to buttress up ourselves. This is kind of the way that oaths are. I'm going to swear by these things so that you'll believe me, when that, in fact, has nothing to do with, with your truthfulness as a person. And so, you know, keeping in mind that. But one of the things that, that also stood out to me, we've, we've, the title for the series, which I've never really done before, and I have a love-hate relationship with them, is Instructions for Building a House. That, that at the end of the sermon, Christ says that the person who builds their house on these things builds on the rock, and the person who doesn't build their house on these principles builds on the sand. And the sand house doesn't withhold the storms, but the one on the rock does. And what I'm, what I've been thinking about a little bit in this moment, and, and if you've been around long enough, this is a, a challenge I bring out often, is we want grand solutions to the world. You are blessed. You are salt and light. I've come to fulfill all that was said by the law and the prophets. Great. What are we going to do to change this place? When you look at somebody with anger, when lust reigns in your heart, when you're frivolous with your words with oaths, when you look at your enemy and say eye for an eye, when you seek violence and retribution in the way, you, it's an amazing thing that Jesus is constituting these people in the world, but he's not giving them some grand social program except for to put themselves in some sense of order, to cut off the desire to murder people who you hold in contempt. To, to not look lustfully and consume in the world. To speak truthfully. You know, there's part of me that wishes he had a little bit more Micah in him. Um, there's part of me that wishes he... But his fulfillment of the Law and the Prophets is calling out a people who are a witness to this kingdom. His kingdom doesn't come with this way in which we will tear it all down. We're going to destroy the system. We're going to do this. But will we become, and, and later in the gospel, um, one of the most, uh, my favorite sermon series was when we went through the parables in Matthew 13, is that there are these tiny things that he's putting into the world, and they will work their way through like leaven works through a loaf. But it is for us to remain in that tiny thing, to hear how God is calling us out. And so the better righteousness, which is what this, this section is under, is that we are going to have a better righteousness than the Pharisees, is caught up in sort of our individual holiness. Last week, the quote on the back of the bulletin was, you have to think about yourself as a hero to be a decent human being today. And, and I said, it's probably not the best, but you have to, uh, this past week, at least for me, I've been trying to think about my contention, um, particularly with, with enemy love this past week. I won't get too far into my confession here. Um, but there's, there's people I read and I just have, um, I go into contempt and, and does anybody know the phrase hate reads? 
Like you just read this thing over and over again because you hate it. Um, and it just makes you feel all the better. And so lately I've been, been looking at this person's writing and I've been going, trying to break myself down. And it's, it's gotten to the point where I'm like, oh, me, this is, the, this is like a, the smallest win you'll ever get. Me and this person hate the same things, um, which is like, you know, God's like, not, you're supposed to be cutting that part out, but if it's helping you love your enemy more, I guess I get like a C minus, which is great. Um, but like, I'm like, oh, they're, they're correcting errors that I try to correct too. Now, I disagree with them what they have to say, but, but they're correcting errors. And, and so trying to think of myself in like this frame in which what I do when I look at that thing matters. Um, we talked about how certain uh, Victorian era novels, the, the characters who always turn out to be the most holy conceive of themselves in this great struggle between good and evil, and it's about where you sit in a tea room or something like that. Um, and that, I think, is helpful for us to see ourselves in our own hearts and souls and lives caught in this battle. The, 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 the passage that Jesse read for us today ends with, if you feel called to do these things, it comes from, uh, in, if they translated it all the way out, the evil one. It doesn't just come from evil. It comes from the evil one. And, and this assumes that we live in a world um, in which this evil one is trying to bring us into these things. And later in the sermon, we'll, we'll pray to be delivered from, again, in, in the Greek, it would be the evil one, not just evil, that there's this active sort of force in the world. So this brings us to Os today, and there's this, there's this um, thing with Os that I think is interesting, is right after Jesus says these words, it seems like the church was like, he didn't mean that. Um, now, did, has anybody seen The Incredibles with uh, no capes? Is that what the woman says? No capes. It's like Jesus couldn't be any clearer. No Os. No, well, you, what if this and this, and, and what happens with the church in this, we see in church history, this is our history lesson for today, um, is that the more Christians there are, the less Christian the world they create is. It's a weird influx on that. And so, you know, uh, Augustine, who everybody knows, I, I talk about him a lot, he in the fourth century is saying, oh, no uh, to God, but you can take oaths to the state and to the government and for court cases and that. Um, th that becomes pretty much standard, particularly in the West, from his time until the 1600s. Now, in the 1600s, um, we're going to pick on uh, Anglicans today um, just because we can. Um, this is the 39th article in the 39th Articles of Religion. And, and keep in mind the, the, the incredible scene. Noos. While we acknowledge that vain and rash swearing is forbidden by Christians by our Lord Jesus Christ and St. James, which uh, Brian read from, we judge that our Christian religion does not prohibit us from swearing oath when it is required by the magistrate in the cause of good faith and charity, providing it is done according to the prophet's teaching and justice, judgment, and truth. Nos. Well, okay, if it's done by the magistrate, then that's okay. Um, and we see this in, in Christian history. I said is that when Christianity begins to, to gain through 
its, its rigid structure that it had, it begins to weaken that structure. Wesleyanism, or Methodism in this country, is a classic tale of, you used to, it was one of the fastest growing church movements in world history. And it was required that you would join a club, and you would do your holiness there, and they had all these steps. And then one day they got big enough, they were like, we're not going to require people to join the club anymore. Second, they, they required their, their clergy to get um, degrees so they'd be respectable to other denominations. And both those things coincide with the decline of Methodism when they stopped doing that. And so to be fair, the 39 articles, this 39th one, this is a whole Christian country they have to govern. Jesus, are, are you serious about this oath thing? We need some way to make sure people are being truthful and faithful. Um, now, this is from the Schleitheim Confession. Uh, this is the seventh one of seven there. Um, and these are our Anabaptist forefathers in the tiniest font ever. I'm sorry about that. Um, and this is what they had to say about the oath. Now, the, our Anabaptist forefathers and mothers had no country, so they had no courts. They didn't have the same problems of governance. I'm not... This is not making them the hero and the other people bad. It's to say that the smaller you function, the more the church sees itself as in some sense a different spot than the rest of the world. It's able to be its holy thing it's supposed to be. And the more we say that everybody in Germany, this was Bonhoeffer's problem, is a Lutheran Christian, the more we begin to say, yeah, and that's what we mean that loosely. Um, uh, We mean that... uh, in a, in a weak way. And so this one, the oath is a confirmation among those who are quarreling or making promises. And the law is commanded to be performed in God's name, but only in truth, not falsely. Christ, who teaches the perfection of the law, fulfillment of the law, prohibits all swearing to his followers, whether true or false, neither by heaven, nor by earth, nor by Jerusalem, nor by our head. And for that reason, which he shortly thereafter gives, for you are not able to make one hair white or black, so you see, as for this reason, all swearing is forbidden. We cannot fulfill what we promise we say, for we cannot even uh, change the very least thing on us. Christ also taught us along the same line when he said, let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatever is more than these cometh from evil. He says, your speech or word shall be yea and nay. However, when one does not wish to understand, he remains closed to the meaning. Christ is simply yea and nay, and all who seek him will simply understand his word. Amen. Smaller group in the world, able to proclaim this way. I won't read this one. Uh, we could. The, this is the 20th article, and so at Defiance Church, in the Constitution or our bylaws, we say we're governed by the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, and, uh, and, and inspired by, I don't think we say governed, but uh, the third one is the 94 Mennonite Confession of Faith. Article 20, not the last one. It's interesting. The last two were the last ones. I don't know. It's like, uh, I guess we better put that in there. This is 20 of 24, and this one says, we commit ourselves to tell the truth, to give a simple yes or no, and to avoid swearing oaths, Jesus told his disciples not to swear oaths at all, but to let their yes be yes and their no be no. We believe this teaching applies to truth-telling as well as to avoiding profane language. An oath is often swore as a guarantee that one is telling the truth. This implies that one has taken an oath, one may simply be less careful. When one hasn't taken an oath, one may be less careful about telling the truth, which is a interesting, you know, if I haven't taken an oath, I can lie all I want. Jesus' followers are always speak the truth, and in legal matters, uh, 
page 34, simply affirm that their statements are true. Jesus warned against using oaths to try and compel God to guarantee the future, which is another interesting way to read this passage. In faith, we commit our futures to God. Therefore, human, uh, therefore, history, human governance have asked citizens to swear oaths of allegiance. As Christians, our first allegiance is to God. In baptism, we pledge our loyalty to Christ's community, a commitment that takes precedent over obedience to any social and political com- communities. Um, so this is from 1994. The others were from the 1600s. But in again, very small movement. And so Christianity has this way in which it is, is, is in its distance from trying to control the world, able to produce statements like this. We have not had a president come from the Anabaptist tradition, unless you count Quakers, um, and that was Nixon, and I think they'd take that one back. Um, that's not a judgment on Nixon. That's just a judgment on I think Quakers would be wiser to say, no, no, we'll pass. But on the back of the bulletin, um, Pope Benedict, uh, in an interview with uh, a journalist, uh, is talking about how perhaps the time for our large Christian culture is ending. And he says, but maybe something good will come of that. Perhaps the time has come to say farewell for the idea of traditionally Catholic cultures where everybody is Catholic. Maybe we are facing a different kind of, of epoch in church history, where Christianity will, begin, will again be characterized more by the mustard seed, where it will exist in small, seemingly insignificant groups that nonetheless live an intense struggle against evil and that bring good into the world, that let God in. The church will, in the foreseeable future, no longer simply be the form of life for the whole society, the church will be more a minority community. She will live in small, vital circles of really convinced believers who live their faith. But precisely in this way, biblically speaking, becomes the salt of the earth again. In this upheaval, constancy, consistency, constancy, keeping what is essential to humanity from being destroyed is once, more, is once again more important and the powers of preservation that could sustain us in our humanity even more necessary. Huge if true. Um, Benedict proclaims himself that as the church wanes in this larger way, as we lose the hold of mass of cultures, perhaps the church will begin to be the church again. Small circles, vitally convinced believers, in which they become the salt of the earth again, in its tininess, in its way that it can penetrate and preserve. And I think it's important, we won't spend much time on it, but the challenge he has in the end, that, that what our challenge is is to keep our humanity essential in this, in this world after that. We, in many ways, are losing our humanity often in the modern world. Um, uh, we continually sort of cast it off. And perhaps the church can be the place where we remain human, where we resist these things. And that can bring about our mission and fulfillment in the world. And so this... Uh, that's, that's the history lesson and the modern lesson with it. Uh, this brings us to, to the section of Scripture that we have today. Again, you have heard it said to people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. That, that what Christ is talking about here, and the New Testament talks about this often, is the language that sort of constructs the world. 
that your yes be yes and that your no be no, that you can, you can faithfully say these things. You don't need oaths to compel you to, to speak the truth either. But what I wanted to say when we went through these minor steps that we can do to repair ourselves or drastic in the cutting off your eye uh, and casting it away is that, is that perhaps this makes the center of this section of the sermon. There's classically, we say, six antitheses, which we said last week isn't the best title because it would say antithetical would be lie all the time on this one. Um, but uh, there are six antitheses, the lust, um, anger, um, divorce, uh, oaths, uh, enemies, and turn the other cheek, go the extra mile. I get those in the wrong order. Six. But actually, I think when you look, the reason why divorce doesn't have one with it is there, you could make the argument that there's five and that the one on divorce is an extension of don't make somebody else an adulterer, which makes this one sort of a hinge to move from this sort of individual sort of notion of holiness in which we um, become murderers and adulterers into which another realm in which we become the judge and attempt to murder and are called to love our enemy. And I think it's interesting that that happens around language because as we're beginning to see... Um, perhaps in a great degree in our modern world, is we are in a giant flux with what words mean. We're in a giant flux with um, what are facts and what is fake news. Um, we are governed in weird ways by slogans now, um, not thoughtfulness. If you, if you can affirm a slogan, then, then you're good. Um, if you watch... Um, um, political discourse in this country, you, you get the sense that sometimes people are defending what they actively know is wrong, um, or at least isn't true. And that's, that's not even, I mean, this is everywhere. I'm not even saying like picking on one group here, like that we have this whole society that's sort of like, we're all bound into the assumption that like, this is how the game goes. And if this is how the game goes, where's that come from in this teaching? the evil one. It assumes we live in a world of lies. This, this moment in which we live makes it very hard to want to be people of truth in the world. I think it's not incidental that if you think of the person who is the most likely to be thought of as a person of truth in your life, they don't say a lot, um, which is in one sense cheating. It's like... Um, but in one sense, we live in a world that wants to drag us into using our words and using them frivious, frivolously often, and perhaps to sit back and to not rush into those places. I heard Don, uh, he's outside, talking this morning about the social dilemma. Is that the name of the documentary? I have not seen it yet. But if you want to think about like um, how much we're encouraged to use our words and how much um, we're encouraged to, uh, Facebook is a great example. Um, we, you can say whatever you want and there, there's no credential check whatsoever. I mean, and when I had Facebook in seminary, it was like, here's what I ate for lunch. But from what I understand now, it's like, if you believe this, you are the spawn of Satan, um, signed by the person you went to high school with. This is, um, I really wanted their opinions on that. Um, <laughs> That's uh, that we have this way in which words just kind of can flow way too easily. 
And they have no weight. And they have no deep meaning. They just are sort of what we can cast about. And so what does it mean for the church to be the place that doesn't rush into these places? To say, hey, we don't swear by anything else, but we let our yes be yes and our no be no. That the church can be known by the truthfulness and the character of its speech. Now what happens here, I grew, many of you know I grew up with a twin brother, and one of the things we would do to each other all the time is lie. Um, just continue. Did, is that common with siblings, or is it because we were twins? Okay, good. Uh, my kids are too young for me to know that yet, but just lie, lie, lie. And for some reason, my mom had instilled with us that we can, we can make oaths. She did not get the no oaths things, but we can't. Um, if we really wanted to know my brother was lying to me, I'd say, okay, swear, swear to God. And that would be like, well, you know, both, neither one of us would cross that line. It was like, that was, um, but it didn't help because you couldn't tell if he was telling the truth or not, because even if he was telling the truth, he still wouldn't swear to God. And this is partially what I think Jesus is naming the conundrum this creates, is that if you, if, okay, you believe that, swear to God, and they're like, I can't swear to God, then, oh, you're a liar. No, <laughs> it still means they can't, you know, swear to God. And so you have this sort of gamemanship with truth. The point being is, um, in this passage, we have that sense, uh, here's the way somebody wrote it out, just to sort of get it, is, is, is like Jesus is dealing with children. Do not swear at all. Okay, the children replied, we won't swear by God's name, but what about vowing in heaven's name? No, heaven is God's throne. Well, then what about swearing in the name of the earth? No, don't swear by that either. The earth is God's footstool. But surely we can at least swear by Jerusalem. No, indeed, Jerusalem is God's city. Indeed, everything is God's. And you cannot escape God's holy presence. You do not control God. You do not control the world. In fact, you don't even control the color of your own hair. So then don't swear by that either. But then what can we say? What can we say? Tell the truth. You are given power over your words. When you say yes, mean it. And when you say no, mean that as well. Kevin and I, my twin brother, would swear by our mother's grave and by this and that and the other. And this is sort of what's going on in, in ancient Judaism is, is you can't swear by God, um, but you can make other degrees of swearing by things. And what's interesting is, is that there was, at times, somebody would, would come and say, oh, he could actually break that vow because it was by uh, the earth and not by God. That you would, there would be sort of a legal system for like how binding your oath was based on what you swore by. And so, you know, by the hairs of your head, I'm assuming is like, you really thought he meant it? Like, come on, man, this is the hairs on his head. Whereas if you said, you know, by the heavens, that one might be binding. And what Jesus is saying, you can't sort of play this game of sort of negotiating with oaths up and down and trying to make your way. And what, what, it, what it is doing, and we do this ourselves going back to fake news and facts and fact-checking and all the other things, is it makes us, uh, we perform something to get people to believe us. What we then assume is that we are not believable people. I need to perform in some way or have some sort of statistic or this, that, and the other. And, and oftentimes we're, what's the 70% of statistics are made up, um, which is, it's like, it, that's a made up, yeah, we get that one. Okay, um, I always laugh still. But um, uh, like we, we, we use these things in our world often. Um, 
We try to perform something in some ways. Hey, I read it in the Atlantic. Well, I read it in the New York Times. Well, I read it. Um, and, you know, there are resources much further down the pole. Friends Facebook feed maybe one of them. Um, but regardless of which, we have this way in sort of performing up in our discussions with one another. So that somehow what I say might be believable. And what Jesus wants people to be able to do is to speak with their yes and their no. To become people of character. To become people of truthfulness. To be able to say what we mean. We try to impress others with the ways in which we can take these things up. Well, I can say it was in this place. I can say it was done by this. And try to make it the way in which, in which we become believable because in some sense we don't believe we are. And for Christians, declared so by Jesus, we are to become a people of truth in the world. To be able to speak as we are. Because one of the things Os presumes is that we live in a world of lies. That's why you need to take them. So when you swear before the court or when you take an oath to perform a certain duty or office, we assume that there are a bunch of people who don't do them. It's perhaps one of the most truthful things we do because we do live in a world of lies at times. But the solution God offers us is not to, to ratchet up what people are promising to, but to become a people of truth. And this brings us to the evil one mentioned at the end of the, past, the passage, who is, um, in, in other phrases, called an adversary or the father of lies or the controller of the air, um, in which we, in, in, um, I had an African-American preacher at my last church said that he is the prince of the air, means that he controls TV and the internet, which I was like, fair. Um, uh, I guess those things do come through the air, but also um, not hard to see those realities not hard to see. And, and his challenge for us was to begin to wean ourselves from this prince of the air, father of lies mindset that comes through those places. To move away from that. And it's where the evil one seems to take root the most. But this is where we, we sort of gamble um, where we take these things in, going back to like the more Christians there are in a society, the more difficult it is to be Christian. Uh, you could look at South Africa but, uh, in apartheid, but in our country, it's, it's uh, obviously the 1950s, people say, was a great Christian time, but that was the time of segregation and, and other challenges. Um, uh, lately, I think for some people, there's the nostalgia of, of the Bush years, um, and yet I think in hindsight, we could see at least two of the wars that we entered into um, were at least short-sighted. They didn't fulfill in the way that they were meant to fulfill. Um, that, that, you know, the more we think of ourselves as a Christian nation, you can often find the heirs in our own backyards. Um, and that's an important thing for us to consider because that's sort of where evil then begins to creep in. But I think the, the last thing for today is this idea that God wants to sanctify our gaze where we look in the world. That's Jesus' grand strategy in the constitution of the church, is to sanctify where we look. Because humanity enters back in there. 
we stop just consuming others. Jesus wants to sanctify our, our emotions, our minds, to not live in constant anger and frustration and this expression of murder that boils under the surface for us. Jesus wants to sanctify the way we use words. He wants to sanctify our eyes, our mouths. We'll get into hands and other things. But, but God has this uh, view of the arena of yourself and your body and your emotions, his eyes, as part of his mission in the world. I, personally, try not to think this way and minimize it as much as I can. Sign me up for the 39th article of religion. Um, but that is what God has called us to do, to be these people in the world. Bonhoeffer's Cost of Discipleship is one of the books that I've been reading as we go through the Sermon on the Mount. There's a section in there just on the Sermon on the Mount. Um, only the cross is God's truth about us makes us truthful. Those who know the cross can no longer shy away from the truth. What we see, and what I want to say at the end here, is that through what we see in the cross is the worst that humanity can do. And all your sins and deficiencies and anger that's contempt for murder and lust and violence is thrown out to that point. And the people who live under that truth, who know that truth, are suddenly disarmed to live freely. We don't have to continually defend and store up. I don't have to swear by Jerusalem, by God's footstool. I don't have to make up a world, but I'm allowed to live freely in God's grace and forgiveness because of what we see in the cross. Jesus enables us through his life, death, and resurrection to sanctify our mouths and our words so that our yes may be yes and that our no may be no. Let us pray. God, you have called us your people in the world. We are the ones whom are blessed by you. We are the ones declared essential in our salt and in our light. And you come to fulfill the law and the prophets, the teachings that come before. And your way of fulfilling them lays waste to our hearts and our desires and our lives. Your kingdom comes near to us and claims our loyalty and ourselves and our character. And it calls us further into the better righteousness which you have proclaimed for us. Allow us to live under your cross. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.